0: Well, welcome to Singlehood Two. This has been this long-awaited, much anticipated, much requested follow-up sequel to our curriculum on singlehood. And so it only it only begs that there's another lesson or another set of lessons that teaches us what do we do once we are prepared, once we are ready to begin to court, moving towards engagement, and then finally marriage. And so that's the beginning of these lessons. But this is lesson one. We're calling singlehood two. the whole total message is called courtship and engagement. Lesson one, though, is controlling your love. This is a very critical truth. And so there's a lot to cover. Let's jump into this. One of the jobs of the gospel minister is to raise the moral standard for every successive generation. The kingdom of God should progressively get stronger and cleaner, brighter. Every generation should get holier, stronger. We don't really see a lot of that going on right now. We're seeing a degeneration in the successive generations of Christianity, but the job of every minister and every church is to keep raising the standard so every generation gets better. Uh, these lessons on courtship that we've prepared and written and now are teaching, they're designed to do just that. That is to raise the moral standard for you a Christian. These are not going to be easy lessons. These lessons may bust your bubble. These lessons may even terminate engagements and dating relationships, which if that's what needs to be, so be it. We cannot settle for a reduced standard just because we're in love. We have to hear what the Bible has to say. And more important than feelings and love is the will of God. And one of the things you have to understand if you're going to be a spiritual Christian, it doesn't matter how many things line up in the natural. It doesn't matter how many confirmations you have in the natural the spirit of god knows best and one of my spiritual fathers used to say all the time his his cliche trademark was nobody is smarter than the holy ghost and it can look like everything lines up perfectly on your on your positive negative list and that he's mr right or she's mrs right but if the holy ghost is not happy it doesn't matter what that checklist looks like it won't ever be the will of god until the holy ghost is happy these lessons will not be easy to hear and they are guaranteed to offend some, but I promise you they are based on sound Bible doctrine. It's my aim to purge some of our unbiblical Western culture and replace it with God's standard and the kingdom's culture. And so with this lesson, we're going to discuss falling in love and this notion that you can't control who you love, which is one of the greatest lies in, a, in the Western culture right now. That's why we've called this lesson Controlling Your Love. Jeremiah 17, 9 in the NIV says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it is beyond cure. Who can understand it? Think about that. The Bible says your heart is deceitful above all things that are deceitful, and it cannot be cured. Your heart is beyond cure. You can treat it, but you can't cure it. Wisdom cautions us to enter into every friendship and potentially romantic relationship with the very keen awareness of that our heart cannot be trusted. (laughs) How many love songs did we just violate? Our heart cannot be trusted and that it is in fact desperately wicked. So this is why when you start to fall in love, you have to be very careful. And as we'll cover in some of our future lessons, you have to surround yourself with trusted counsel, trusted accountability. Uh, the, the, The American cliche is very true. Love is blind. And once you fall in love, those emotions run so high. Those feelings run so excited, you'll overstep and miss a lot of warning signs that God has. So let's look at a section here I called Common Lies About Love. We don't look to our culture to understand marriage, romance, or love. We have to look to the Bible because we're Christians. We're Christians first and Westerners secondly, and, and maybe Americans thirdly down the list. Though every generation that goes by, I'm getting less and less proud to be an American because of what our country's becoming. One of, the high, uh, one of the greatest lies propagated in Western culture is that you cannot control whom you fall in love with. That is a lie from the pit of hell. That is a lie being used by the LGBT uh, agenda right now to, to even try to push Christians off the foundation mooring of God's word. They say, well, you just can't control who you fall in love with. So who are we to judge them? They can't help who they fall in love with. Well, that's a lie from hell. You can control who you fall in love with. In fact, the Bible takes it upon itself to tell you what you can and can't love and what you can and can't hate. And there are things the Bible commands us to hate as Christians, and there are things the Bible tells us to despise, and there are things the Bible says we must love. And if the Bible commands what to do with our emotions, it means that we have the ability to control those emotions. Second to that lie, the first lie being you can't control whom you love. Second to that lie is that you can trust your heart. And we've already proven with Jeremiah 17, you cannot trust your heart. You cannot trust your heart. You cannot trust your heart. This sensual and devilish wisdom has become the rationale behind the church, even accepting homosexual lifestyles. After all, you can't help who you fall in love with consider the following cultural lies that we're all familiar with and what the Bible actually has to say in the direct opposite direction. So look at this list here. Your first secular wisdom is you can trust your heart. We've all heard it. So many love songs have been written about only trust the heart. Trust your heart. Listen to your heart. Proverbs 28:26 says he that trusteth in his own heart is a fool. That's God Almighty speaking. American culture says you can trust your heart. God says if you trust your heart, you're a fool. That was easy enough to debunk. Number two, Western culture, secular wisdom says follow your heart. Proverbs 20 verse 9 says, who can say I have made my heart clean? I am free from my sin. Uh, You can't make your heart clean. Only God can. And why would you want to follow something that's desperately wicked? The Bible says we're to follow the elders that go before us. The Bible says we're to follow the Holy Ghost. The Bible says we're to follow the leadings of God. The Bible never says we follow our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. So even if we wanted to try to guard our heart, or excuse me, follow our heart, we'd have to first really, really, really closely guard it. The only way you can begin to somewhat trust anything about your heart is if you so put the word of god in it that every time you're squeezed only the bible's coming out of it the two surest things to trust in the world is the bible and the leading of the holy spirit and if you're not good at being led by the holy spirit just stick with the bible and those around you that are more spiritual than you that have proven they can be led by the holy spirit look at your third secular wisdom let your conscience be your guide now that statement let your conscience be your guide is actually a muslim quote from about the 5th or 6th century by the third imam that came after Muhammad. And he has a quote. I don't have it here. It's in another one of our curriculum. He has a quote that says, lie or don't lie. Tell the truth or don't tell the truth. Let your conscience be your guide in all matters in dealing with the infidels. Can you believe that? This imam, the third one after Muhammad, he married one of Muhammad's daughters. Uh, He said, lie if you want to, don't lie if you want to. Any, Any way you treat the infidels, it doesn't matter. Let your conscience be your guide. Jiminy Cricket sang a song about it in Pinocchio, and now it's kind of become modern cliche wisdom. Let your conscience be your guide. No, no, no. Let's look, look what the Bible says. Titus 1.5 says that you can have a defiled conscience. If your conscience is defiled, you can't let it be your guide. Hebrews 10.22 says you can have an evil conscience as a Christian, and you have to let the washing of God's word and the blood of the Lamb purge your conscience from dead works and your evil conscience. So if if the New Testament tells us as Christians we can have an evil conscience and a defiled conscience, then we can very quickly ascertain we cannot let our conscience be our guide. Paul said in Corinthians, I believe the NIV brings out, he says, "Yea, even my conscience does not convict me, yet that does not make me innocent. Think about that. Paul said, my conscience does not convict me, but that does not make me innocent. Just because your conscience is seared doesn't mean you can trust it. Maybe that's why you trust it, because it is seared. How about this? Love at first sight. Let me give you my personal opinion. Somebody may want to disagree. I don't believe in love at first sight. I've got some scripture for it. I don't believe you just instantly fall in love, because if you can instantly fall in love, you can instantly fall out of love. I understand there might be this divine notion that you see someone and the Spirit of God does a supernatural work, but that's the exception and not the rule. Anything the world is big on, I'm going to be cautious of. And the world always talks about love at first sight for their seventh wife. I thought it was love at first sight for your third wife. Which is it? If it's love at first sight, when did you start hating them enough to divorce them? Look at what the Bible says. Mark seven twenty-three. That from within within the heart of men proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lasciviousness, and an evil eye. Notice you can have an evil eye and it proceeds forth out of your heart, the same heart that you want to trust, the same heart that you want to be led by, the same heart Jesus says is evil. It's desperately wicked, incurably sick, and it produces an evil eye. Maybe you saw something you shouldn't have seen, kind of like David when he should have been in battle, staring out the window, noticing a really pretty woman who he had known for about 30 years, Bathsheba, whose husband was Uriah the Hittite, one of his mighty men of valor, who would have been with them in the cave of dulam 30 years prior. This is a woman he's known a long time, and he had love at first sight, had sex with her, got her pregnant, killed his best man, and brought judgment upon his entire kingdom. You still want to believe in love at first sight? We might accurately and more honestly say lust at first sight, but I don't think we can say love at first sight. What about this? What we've uh, covered so far, you can't help whom you fall in love with. And I say here in our lesson, this carnal ideology will be debunked in our next section. So our whole premise for this lesson is controlling your love. This is not an American mindset. This isn't a Western mindset. It is a totally biblical mindset. This is critical to courtship and engagement because if you start to believe the lie, I'm in love, therefore it has to be the will of God, you can marry the wrong person and it ruin not maybe the rest of your life because divorce may come along and save you. You even hate to say that anymore, but it could ruin many years of your life and you may never recover from it. This next section I call soul bait because soul bait is what will trip you and trigger love in your life and cause you to start falling in love with someone who could be the wrong person. Men and women are designed differently and therefore function differently in the arena of love, romance and attraction. The following observations are generalities, so there might be some room for from some wiggle room and some some exceptions to the rule. These are generalities, but generally speaking, this is how men and women differ. Men Number one, are attracted by their eyes. Men get this, women get this. Women put a lot more time into looking pretty because they seem to understand men are attracted to that and women wanna look better. Men don't put so much time into grooming unless they're metrosexuals or homosexuals and then that's kind of a weird funky juju vibe anyway. Generally speaking, men are attracted by their eyes and not so much affection or attention at first. They are drawn to that which their eyes find appealing. We call that beauty. And you need to understand beauty is different in every culture. Even in the subcultures of America, different people, different men find different things beautiful. To some men in America, the the slender, svelte, athletic build is attractive. To other men in America, the round, curvy uh, figure is attractive. And to another part of the American culture, uh, the girl with the large posterior, you know, they call it junk in the trunk, they really find that attractive. And in that culture, those women go to great lengths to enlarge their bottom. And the guy over here who likes the athletic build says, "I, I, I can't get with that. Beauty's different. It truly is in the eye of the beholder, but men are attracted to beauty. And once they are attracted, their emotions develop later. So it is a visual, sensual drawing, and then emotions are developed later. And once a man's eyes and emotions are in sync with a woman, his heart will become fixed upon that woman, and he'll begin to fall in love love has to be grown and cultivated. And even once you are married and you're in love, you have to maintain that love, which is why Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives. If it was an automatic keeper thing, why would Jesus Christ through the apostle Paul have to remind husbands, love your wife, love your wife, love your wife. Hey, guess what? Today's a new day. You got to love your wife today because love is not natural. It goes against the sin nature, against selfishness. You have to develop it. You have to cultivate it. You have to maintain it. Women, on the other hand, are totally different. Women are attracted by their emotions. They are drawn to the attention that makes them feel important and desired. If you can make a woman feel important and you can make her feel beautiful and make her feel needed, she'll be drawn to that. She'll respond to that. This works even after marriage. The physical attraction is not that important to her on the front end. Once she feels important, she feels needed, she'll begin to develop a physical attraction. And that's often why you see men with much better looking wives than you think they deserve. And every man I know talks about marrying up. They, they marry somebody much prettier than they are handsome. And it's typically because they treated her with the love and affection she was looking for and she found that attractive and then she grew to find him attractive later. There's such thing as ugly men. You just really have to look to your left hand and to your right, you can see them. But women, though, though they do, there is an attraction that is needed, it's not physical at first. It's this emotional security that they have to respond to first. And for a woman... Once a woman's emotions and eyes are in sync, her heart will become set upon and she'll fall in love. She'll set upon that man. Her heart will set upon him. She'll begin to fall in love with him. When we recognize our heart is set upon someone, we call that being in love. And so if we know what triggers that, that, that progress, that process, we can guard that. For men, it's our eyes. For women, it's the heart. It's the attention. the attention. And so consequently, you see men just going ga ga goo goo dumb after this gorgeous thing that walks by. And you see women going ga ga goo goo dumb over the first guy that shows her any kind of attention. And you look at both of them and you want to say, you can do better than this. This isn't the first pretty girl you're going to meet or the last pretty girl you're going to meet. And this isn't going to be the first guy that ever show you any kind of attention. Unfortunately, many naive believers find themselves in love illegally and outside the will of God. Never forget, your heart is desperately wicked and it is incurably sick. Just because she, she's pretty doesn't mean you have the right to pursue her. And just because he treats you nice at work or in the church doesn't mean you need to fall in love with him. You must get permission from God to fall in love. We must not forget we have a God and Savior who we get permission from to do anything and everything. He owns us. We are his. We need to get permission from God to fall in love. When to fall in love and whom to fall in love with? Men are warned about this spiritual weakness of theirs, the eye attraction in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 6:25 says, "Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, neither let her take thee with her eyelids." Notice it doesn't say beauty is wrong. It doesn't even say acknowledging beauty is wrong. I think every father in the world thinks their daughter's the most beautiful daughter in the world, and even when he gives her away on her, her wedding day, he can acknowledge my daughter is the most beautiful thing in the world. She looks gorgeous, and there's not an ounce of lust in that father's heart towards his daughter, because that would be perverse. So beauty's not the problem. Even the Bible says of certain women, and she was of beautiful countenance and pleasant to look upon. God Almighty is acknowledging and saying, that's a beautiful woman, and yet there's not an ounce of lust in God's heart towards the woman in the Bible who he's describing. So the problem is not the beauty. The problem is not being attractive or being attracted to someone. It's the lust that drives you out of the will of God in pursuing that beauty. It says, let her not take thee with her eyelids. So she knows how to use her looks to draw a man off sides and into sin. Men, just because she's pretty doesn't mean you have permission to pursue her. It might be wise to say, Lord, she's real pretty to look at, and I just want you to know that's kind of what I'm looking for. And if you have permission, I'm going to go talk to her. If I don't have permission, she can keep on walking. But Lord, I'm just going to kind of catalog that. And my, the recesses of my heart and say, I, the way she walks and the way she curves, that's uh, kind of what I'm interested in, Lord. Uh, you built me that way, just, just letting you know. It's what I'm thinking. You already know that. That'll keep you safe to talk to the Lord that way. Women are warned of their weaknesses in Song of Solomon. Pro, uh, Song of Solomon's 2.7 in the NIV says, awake, not love, before time, or as the New Century Version says, do not awaken or excite my feelings of love until it is ready. I like that translation because it says, excite my feelings. Don't awaken or excite my feelings of love. That indicates that a woman knows that her feelings of love can be excited. They can be stirred up. It doesn't say my attraction to your your looks, but my feelings of love. They can be awakened and excited by encouraging words, attention, affection, caress, a kind word. So ladies, guard your heart when men start to call on you, when they start to flirt with you, when they start to put out the vibe. (laughs) Walk with God and look to him for his approval of any man that might be interested in you. I cannot tell you how many times I've seen beautiful young girls of God, young women of God, Fall head over goo goo heels in love with the first knucklehead that comes along and treats her better than her daddy did. And this might be a good time to point out as a single woman, you've got to figure out and maybe do some psychology on yourself if we can. Are you content in Christ? Did your daddy raise you, giving you the affection and the attention you need so that you know you have value? You know you're beautiful, you know you're accepted in Christ, and you don't need some guy, some schmo, some schmuck to come along and play with your emotions by showing you some attention. Now, every, everybody likes attention. Everybody likes to be felt important, uh, but you got to be secure in Christ. And so what I see a lot of time is girls who were not raised by loving fathers, man, they fall for anybody and everybody, and it's not the will of God. You got to get a hold of yourself, ladies. Do not look to your own heart or emotions when determining the will of God. You have to look to the Bible. We're going to cover in some other lessons looking to sound counsel and accountability, uh, letting the elders of the church, your mom and dad, if they're spiritual, your brother or sister in Christ that love you, to kind of hold you accountable. I've seen people fall in love with the wrong person. And in the local church, nobody feel good about it except for them. And when they're the only one that feels good about who they're in love with, something's wrong especially when it's a spiritually mature church. The Bible says a fool is more wise in his own eyes than seven men that can render a reason. And when you're the only one that feels good about the person you're in love with, you may want to slow down and cool your jets. Let's look at this from the Bible. We're going to prove this theological point that love is controllable. That's contrary to American scripture or American doctrine or American wisdom, but it's Bible. Love is controllable. The Bible's very clear. We can and must control who and what we love. We can and we must. You got to make sure you have permission from God to love what you love. The more you put it into your heart, the more you're going to love it. Deuteronomy 6, 5 says, command from God, and you shall love the Lord your God. Notice it's a command, which means if you don't love God, you have to. You got to get it in your heart. This is called the greatest commandment. The greatest commandment is not on the Ten Commandments because the Ten Commandments will automatically be obeyed if you do what Jesus Christ called the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and might and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second commandment, which is equal to the first, Jesus said in the Gospels. The first and greatest commandment demands that we love God with all of our heart. In fact, even the Gospel is called the Gospel of Obedience you obey the gospel, which means love God. And here we see the first thing we're commanded to do with our heart, love God. You've been given a measure of love and then God gives you the measure and tells you what to do with it. Here's love, love me with it. (laughs) Proving the point, you can and must control your love. If you don't love God, you gotta figure out why and, and ask him to help you love him more. This verse also reveals three things to us. Love is of the heart. It says you love God with all your heart. It says that love is controllable. And the third thing it tells us is that God can and will tell us what to do with that love. Love is a stewardship. You can get very in trouble with God very quickly loving the wrong thing. The Bible says love not slumber, love not sin. If you start loving the wrong thing, you'll get into sin very quickly. This is the preeminent example of God telling us what to do with our heart and what to do with our love, if he commands us to love him with all of our heart, then we are more than capable of doing so. Look at first chronicles twenty nine three this is David speaking. He says moreover, I have set my affection upon the house of God. This indicates david 's affection was in his control, and he did in fact Set his affection on the house of God. He says, "I have of my own proper good of gold and silver, which I have given to the house of my God, over and above all that I prepared for the holy house." His his affection was set on the house of God, and his money and his resources followed. Same thing with a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a fiance. When you love them, money starts following that direction. David indicated where he had set his affection. It was upon God's house and not his own house. We can control where we set our affection, and we have to. If you don't love the house of God, you've got to learn to. If you don't love your mom and dad, you've got to learn to. If you don't love God, you have to learn to. The New Testament echoes this sentiment in the form of a command. Colossians 3 2 says, Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. God helps us by telling us where to aim our mind and where to set our affections, and that is on spiritual things. And again, we're going through all these verses just to prove contrary to American mindsets, you can and must control your love. Proverbs 20, verse 13 says, love not sleep. Notice there's a command. You don't have permission from God to love sleep. Now, I'm not talking about enjoying a good nap, but if you love sleep, you'll serve sleep. And the Bible says, if you love sleep, you're gonna come to poverty. You're gonna be lazy. It says, rather open your eyes and you'll be satisfied with bread. Have you ever noticed the more you sleep, the more you want to sleep, and the more you sleep, the less you get done, the less you get done, the more miserable you are? Proverbs troubleshot that 2,500 years ago. Wake up and live a satisfying life. Get off that couch. Nobody wants to marry a couch potato. <laughs> First John 2, 15 says, Love not, agapeo, the God kind of love as we call it. We falsely call it agape, the God kind of love. It just means love that sacrifices. It's the best kind of love to describe the God kind of love. God sacrificed for us. But here it says, do not agapeo or do not love the world. So we don't have permission from God to use our love to love this world system. The the word world there means present age or this eon. We don't have permission from God to love this present age. Neither the things that are in the world. We don't have permission from God to love the things that are in this present age. If any man agapeo the world, the love of the father is not in him. So here we see that we don't have permission to love this world. We're commanded to not love this world. And again, it proves you can and you must control the love that's in your heart. Agape is not the God kind of love. It's just the sacrificial type of love that happens to also describe how God loves. It is possible to agape and sacrifice for the world. John commands us to not love the world. Many Christians love the world, but this verse indicates we have a choice. And I want you to understand, you have a choice. You can choose to love Jesus Christ, or you can choose to love the world. And you can choose to love that boy or that girl, or you can choose to love the will of God. And let me just say this frankly when it comes to the will of God, God does not care how you feel. When it comes to the divine will of God, God does not care how you feel, He expects obedience. When God gives you a command, he knows full well in advance the emotions and the hurt and the fear it's going to elicit in your soul before he gives you that command. And it did not stop him from issuing forth the command. Nor will your fear, nor will your emotions, nor will the hurt excuse you from obedience to the divine will of God. And this is why when we proceed forward in the matters of love and marriage and courtship, we proceed with utmost caution and discretion and patience, lest our hearts be torn apart. Jesus Christ said in Matthew's gospel, you think I come to bring peace, nay a sword? He said, I have come to bring variance. I have come to set family members against each other. That's the words of Jesus Christ. And don't you know, he doesn't have a problem breaking up a relationship if it's not his divine will. So sometimes you need to be prepared for the divine will of God to hurt your soul when you have illegally set your love and affection upon someone you never had permission from God to love. It doesn't mean God doesn't love them. It just means they're not the one for you. Amen to that. We must take our love off the things of this world. Look at Second Timothy four ten. It says for Demas has forsaken me, having loved or agapeed this present world, and he has departed unto Thessalonica. When you love the wrong thing, you'll depart the right thing. Demas was supposed to help Paul But he started loving slowly, little by little by little, loving the things of this world. And before long, the love for the things of this world outweighed his love for Jesus Christ and his love for the apostle Paul. Do you think he just overnight fell in love with the world? No. And you don't overnight fall in love with a woman or a man. It was a slow seduction from the world. So where little by little. He slowly turned his heart away from Jesus Christ and away from his commitment to the apostle Paul, and he departed his divine calling. It's really shameful and quite terrifying. And actually, when you look at the timeline of how these epistles are written, just one year prior, he's mentioned in the epistle of Philemon speaking and and, and saying hello. And he's also, I believe, mentioned in Colossians. And here in uh, 2 Timothy, at the end of Paul's life, he's totally betrayed Paul for the things of this world. And if we put that into context with 1 John, it says, He has forsaken me, having loved this present world. We combine that with the previous verse. He loved the world. The love of the Father wasn't in Demas. Does he go to heaven? I'm not sure. You can and must control your love. Demas fell out of love with Jesus and he fell in love with the world. He had control over his love. He went from sacrificing for the kingdom to sacrificing for the world system. Colossians 3, 5 says, Therefore, mortify your members, that means put to death, your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passions, or inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Here, Paul says to the Colossae church that you have to kill or put to death affections and passions and desires. Once again, indicating we can and must control our heart. We can and must control our love. Paul exhorts every believer to mortify or kill unrestrained passions and evil desires. Just because we love and desire something doesn't mean we have God's permission to do so. You know, Some folks may love skipping church. Doesn't mean you have permission to do so. Some folks may just love adultery. Doesn't mean you have God's permission to do so. Some folks just love going to Bonnaroo. Doesn't mean you have God's permission to do so. Some folks may just love rated R movies because of the sex scenes. Doesn't mean you have God's permission to do so. Some people may just love drinking alcohol. Doesn't mean you have God's permission to do so. When you become mature in Christ, you start asking him for his approval before you set your heart on things almost like a, an obedient child will say, mommy, daddy, is it okay if? Sometimes we grow up and we think we don't need to ask our father for permission anymore. And it's really quite shameful. Ephesians 5, 25, husbands agapeo your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Husbands must be commanded to always love their wives. We have to be reminded of this over and over and over again. Why? Because as a husband, you won't always feel like loving your wives. There's good days, there's bad days, there's stressful days. There's days of demonic attack. Love is a command and it is a choice. One final verse on this section before we move on. Titus 2, 4 says that they, the elder women, may teach, urge and admonish the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children. Now, this is is trippy. This is confounding. You mean... The senior women of God in a local church, they need to qualify so they can take on a, what I call a Titus II woman position so that they can help teach the younger women how to love their husbands and teach the young mothers how to love their children. This indicates that love has to be taught. Love has to be learned. And even the demonstrations of love have to be taught have to be exhorted, have to be urged. This indicates love is not natural. It doesn't doesn't naturally flourish. It doesn't naturally produce fruit. It has to be pruned. It has to be cultivated for it to be biblically proper love. Let me read that verse again. Admonish the elder women that they may teach, urging and admonishing the young women to be sober, that they would teach and admonish the young women to love their husbands and to love their children. It lets you know that just because you love your children doesn't mean you know how to properly love your children. Just because you claim you love your husband doesn't mean you know how to properly love your husband or that you're loving your husband the best way or to the most, fullest extent. This indicates that love has to be developed, has to be grown, has to be pruned, has to be cultivated, has to be fertilized for it to come to fullness. And again, it just demonstrates love is a choice. And love isn't natural. It has to be grown There's too much to be said there. Hopefully you're you're picking up, uh, developing the picture of what we're saying here. According to this verse, the act and demonstration of proper biblical love must be taught and admonished. The act and demonstration of proper biblical love is not natural. It has to be taught by someone who's learned it and admonished by someone who's walked it out. That's why when 16-year-olds say, I'm just so in love. Go sit down, honey. You don't even know what you love. You can't even go to school on time. Oh, Daddy, I'm in love with this girl, son. You can't even shave yet. You don't even know what proper biblical love for a woman looks like. And truth be told, I understand. A hundred years ago, people would get married at 16 and 17, but now science is telling us that uh, the average 34-year-old is more like a 16-year-old in their mindset. And that the maturity is taking longer and longer and longer. Uh, one of my friends brought me a statistic that said psychologists have now studied and proven that unfortunately, the average American child has a attention span of 9.5 seconds. 9.5 seconds because of all the technology, the iPods, the iPads, you know, the apps, and you know, the blitz of entertainment and what have you. And, and they said a goldfish has an attention span of 9.8 seconds. So what they said, they made the joke, goldfish can stay focused longer than American kids can now. And I don't know if that goes all the way up to high school or college, probably so. It just means we get bored easier. This is why we have to mature in our love because otherwise we're gonna fall in love with 16 women before we settle down. And none of it was God in the first place. (laughs) Love, the act and proper demonstration of biblical love must be taught and admonished. It is not perfectly demonstrated at first manifestation. Love is not perfectly or maturely demonstrated the first time it comes out. It has to be developed. Proper love must be learned and developed and cultivated. So, so hear this as we get ready to kind of wind this down in this lesson on controlling your love. Your heart is up for grabs. Know that very clearly. Your heart can be stolen away from Jesus Christ. Adultery is when someone's heart is stolen away from their spouse. Seduction is part of stealing someone's heart away from their spouse. There's a difference between seduction and deception. When you're deceived, you don't even know what's going on. When you're seduced, you know it's wrong, but you're easily talked into it. When someone's seduced into adultery, they know it's wrong, but it feels so good. And they they let down their guard and their moral values because I know it's wrong, but I want it anyway. Deception, you don't even know. You're just ignorant. You're just a blind lamb being led to the slaughter, deceived. Seduction, though, whew, your heart was stolen and you let it happen. Your heart is a part of your life that is constantly in flux, that the the spiritual health, the spiritual well-being of your heart is dynamic. You can have a good heart in the morning and by the end of the day, you're mad as a hornet and angry as the devil and it's all something that happened in between time. You can be in faith in the morning service and be totally in doubt by the evening service. You can love God today and be confused tomorrow. Your heart is like a wave of the sea tossed and driven. That's why James says, purify your heart, you double-minded. James also starts off in chapter one by saying the double-minded or the impure heart is, is unstable in all its ways. Your heart can desire things today but despise them tomorrow. How many of you have ever wanted and wanted and wanted and lusted after something then purchased it and two days later you're like, eh, and you get rid of it? Or save up and save up and save up and buy something nice and in six months you hawk it in a yard sale for five bucks. That's the heart. Desperately wicked, incurably sick, highly unstable. It is for this reason the Bible encourages us to fix our heart upon proper things. You fix your heart upon it and you don't take your heart off of it. Without being fixed or established, a heart can easily be stolen away from its proper purpose. If your heart isn't convinced, established and fixated upon the things of God, it'll be stolen. It's like leaving a bicycle outside of a downtown city. You leave it there for 10 minutes, it will be gone. But if you lock it with two or three U-locks or or kryptonite locks, it'll be there when you come back. Look at 2 Samuel 15. This is a story of Absalom deceiving and um, betraying his father, King David. The Bible says that Absalom came and he sat at the gate of the city every day. And when anybody would pass by that city gate to go get help from King David, Absalom would hijack them and kind of pull them to the side and say, you know, I really wish my dad was more helpful to you guys. I wish there was somebody in this kingdom that loved you like you deserve to be loved. And he was totally con the whole thing, much like boys do to girls when they want to have sex with them. Give them everything they want to hear, but don't care about them at all. And girls are so foolish. The insecure, low self-esteem girls, which is most women, In our modern society, and I don't say that to your discredit, you just need to know that weakness. Anybody that comes along and shows a girl any attention and gives her what she wants to hear in her ears will get in bed with her very easily. You ladies have to guard your heart from that. Absalom does this, and it says in verse five, and it was so that when any man came nigh unto him to do him obeisance, that is Absalom, To pay him respect as the king's son, he would put forth his hand and he took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment, or we'd say counsel. And so Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. This son, this wicked, wicked son of David, was able through a constant, consistent, methodical con man scheme he was able to steal the hearts of God's people away from their most beloved king. And it didn't happen overnight, but this was King David. By just a little bit of conniving, he was able to politically move everybody away from King David to his own selfish cause. Israel was deeply devoted and loved King David dearly until his son Absalom conspired to make himself available to the people so they never got to go see David. His motives were wicked and underhanded. And through subtlety and disingenuous means, Absalom was able to steal the people's love from their king. I say that to warn you, your heart is up for grabs. It can certainly be stolen. And that is why your love is controllable. You must, you can control your love. God gives you permission who you can and cannot love. And telling the Lord, Lord, but I love him. That does not change the will of God. You must reverse that and say, Lord, do I have permission from you to like them? And then do I have permission from them to love them more than just a mere brother or sister in Christ? Final passage, Solomon's betrayal. I call it the betrayal against God. This is from the New Living Translation, 1 Kings 11, 1 and 2. It says, King Solomon fell in love with many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, like that wasn't bad enough, including Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Notice, he wasn't a one-woman kind of guy. His love was so perverse, he fell in love with multiple women. Now, I'm not sure if that means he fell out of love with the previous one or if he just loved all of them. I'm not really sure how this works, but he was able to perversely develop a love in his heart for multiple foreign women. They came from nations about which the Lord had warned the Israelites, saying, you must not establish friendly relations with them. If you do, they will surely shift your allegiance to other gods or to their gods. Notice, Solomon fell in love with women. He didn't have biblical permission to even be friends with the men. Solomon fell in love with women Uh, from the nations he didn't even have permissions to be friends with their men from. That's the deception of love. That's the deception of your heart. He He disobeyed the word of God because love... That's what the church is embracing right now with the pro-gay message, the pro-LGBT message, the pro-gay marriage message. They're embracing this love wins, love conquers all. You better qualify and make sure you're describing which kind of love it is because according to Philippians chapter 1, the love of God is filled with all judgment. You should look at that verse in Philippians chapter 1. The love of God is filled with all judgment, discernibility, investigation, interrogation, that you might approve things that are excellent, the next verse says. It says, You must not establish friendly relations with these foreign nations. If you do, they will surely shift your allegiance to their gods. When your heart falls in love, you shift allegiance. It says, But Solomon was irresistibly attracted to them, and he clave unto these in love. He left the word of God and he clave unto sin because of love. He totally violated love. He totally misused the love that was in his heart, the love that was given to him to love God and love the commandments and keep the commandments and build God's kingdom. He totally got rid of all that, that he might cleave and love things illegally. You and I have got to make sure we are not illegal in what we love. We have to make sure we're obeying Jesus Christ. Love is a stewardship and you're gonna be judged for how you use that love and what you set it upon. Solomon fell in love with women he was commanded to not even be friends with. It cost him the kingdom. It split the kingdom in half. We know he ended up loving and marrying over a thousand concubines. And how many kids he had, we don't even know for sure. I don't even know how you have sex with that many women in a year. And then what happens when they get jealous? You have one massive harem cat fight. It's not even wisdom. So... We must guard our heart in this endeavor of courtship and engagement. I'm going to these first couple lessons are going to be very hard to help caution you as you move forward towards courtship and engagement and then ultimately marriage in the will of God. Amen. I trust this message has challenged you and encouraged you. I'm going to pray and uh, we'll close out. Father, we thank you for this first of several lessons on courtship and engagement for the single believer. Father, may your sons and daughters obey you, controlling their love. May each and every one of them listening to me find the divine will of God for that future spouse in their life. You, your word says it's not good that we be alone, but we need help. And the number one thing we need help with is being a steward in your garden. Help us, Lord, to grow, develop, and mature for your glory. And may they find the will of God concerning love. In Jesus' name, amen.